0: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot Hi, oddings.
1: This is the Something Scary Podcast. I'm your Ate Sapphire. I hope you came with a big appetite because today's episode is a very tasty one. First, we'll hear about a hungry monster unleashed from within a mountain. Then, we'll listen to a young couple's tragic tale – Eat some of grandma's famous strawberry pie. And eat some shrimp that's to die for. I receive hundreds of amazing story submissions every single week. The first story you hear is one that I've chosen to animate and post over at youtube.com snarled. Then I read a few more stories for the podcast. If you have a tale you're dying to share, send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com. And if you want more spooky content, make sure you check out the new Dark Five podcast featuring Rachel Evans. I'm the guest on the first episode, and we discussed demonic possession and exorcism. So check it out on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Before we get into today's episode, I'd love to read some listener mail in regards to last week's episode, Stories from South and Southeast Asia. I read a story from Rini in Indonesia who wanted some insight on what happened to her sister when she was younger. So, Mary writes, I can give some clarity upon why the girl's older sister doesn't really remember anything. Mainly, when you have a supernatural experience as a young child, you either don't remember what happened or you block it out of your memory. I hope this helps. That's a really good point. Uh, And Sharon writes... I think Rini's sister really met the jinn. The Jin's aren't something unusual for Indonesian people, especially the Muslims here. I don't know much about Jin's, but I think the Jin's in the story were attracted to Rini's sister, and they wanted to take her with them, maybe forever or just a certain amount of time. I'm not sure though, but in most cases, that's what they want. Who knows? So, wanna hear something scary? Raw Head and Bloody bones. bones The following is based on a true story from Lil Mama 85, whose great-grandfather encountered an infamous creature in the Southwest. My great-grandfather lived until his 93rd year and was sharp even near the end. He lived with me, my parents, and my siblings in the same house that he grew up in. Once the sun was about to set, my parents brought in some of our animals and boarded the windows and doors. They did this every night, ever since I could remember. I decided to ask my great-grandfather about this, and he proceeded to tell me the following story. In the 1930s, my great-grandfather had just been released from prison for making moonshine, and he needed a job to support his family. Luckily, a mining company had recently moved to town and was looking for employees. The new company was a little controversial. Some people didn't think the mountain should be disturbed, but others believed that finding coal was necessary and profitable. The mining company was looking for young men for the blasting crew. The job was incredibly dangerous. The crew would drop black powder or dynamite into the seams of the mountain to create a hole. They would then investigate the holes to look for seams of coal so that the company would know where to open the mines. The risk was high, but so was the pay, so my great-grandfather happily accepted his job offer. On his first day, my great-grandfather followed the crew as they blasted a hole in the mountain. It created a small opening, so Jim, the smallest of the crew, was tasked with going inside. They tied the rope to his waist, and he slowly and carefully crawled into the hole. My great-grandfather was holding and feeding him the rope at the other end. Jim descended further and further into the mountain, far enough that they could no longer see his light from the surface. Then the rope stopped. Hey, I to see you now. That's awesome, right? That's just the mountain settling. You're fine, said Bert, one of the older members of the crew. Keep going. The rope began to move again, much slower this time. You're fine, Jimmy. Wait, I think he's really in trouble, my great-grandfather said, and he began to pull the rope. But it was too heavy like something was pulling from the other end. Jim's screams continued to echo from inside the mountain. The other crew members grabbed onto the rope and began pulling, until they were launched backwards onto the ground. The rope was no longer heavy. They quickly reeled the rope in. There was nothing on the other end, just fresh blood. Bert stuck his head into the hole. Oh God, smells like rotting meat. He called out below. Jim? Jim, are you okay? Answer us! A deep, bellowing growl responded. Then the sound of digging, growing louder and louder. Oh my God. Run! Run! The crew began to run to the hill and make their way down to where they had parked their truck. Everyone except my great-grandfather. He just had to know what Bert saw. Just one look, one quick look. My great-grandfather said this was one of the biggest regrets in life. He saw something he could never unsee, something that scared him so badly that he wet himself. Crawling out of this hole was something in the shape of a man, like a man that had been skinned and drenched in blood. It had massive horns on its head. He couldn't make anything out about its face except the slits for eyes and razor sharp teeth where its mouth was supposed to be. It let out a hellish scream and my great grandfather booked it back to the truck just as the men were pulling away. He barely made it. They got back to the mining office screaming incoherent things at their boss. Okay, everyone calm down. Now tell me what happened. Where's Jim? In the mountain. Something took him. It looked like the devil himself. Their boss stared at them, thinking carefully about what to do next. Okay, let's go, take me there. The rest of the crew protested and cried. We'll go back under one condition, my great-grandfather said. We have a group of at least 10 armed men with us. Two hours later, my great-grandfather, his boss, and the armed men were making their way back up that mountain trail. After an hour or so, they came to the spot where the crew had parked their truck the first time. They got out and climbed the small hill. At the top, my great-grandfather stopped and pointed to the hole. But now, there was a blood trail leading out of it. All of the men followed the trail into the nearby trees. The trail turned into a set of footprints, huge prints, that were a cross between a bear's and an eagle's, and the prints were headed down the mountain towards the town. The men ran back to their truck and rushed back to their homes to warn their families of the beast on the loose. Families were instructed to board their windows and bring their livestock indoors. After that day, no one stayed outside at night it became part of the routine. Bring as many animals as you can inside, board your windows and doors, and pray the beast doesn't get you. So, it's still out there? I asked. My great-grandfather nodded.
2: We should have left that mountain alone. We unleashed something terrible into the world that day. I don't think I'll ever forgive myself.
0: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot
1: And now, more Something Scary. Our next tale comes from Mai. Not the same Mai in the story because that would be very peculiar. This is a story about a Hmong couple, Lee and Mai. They met and fell in love with each other very quickly and wanted to plan an extravagant wedding. Unfortunately, neither of them were incredibly wealthy, so Lee left their country of Laos to find better paying work so they could have the storybook wedding they always dreamed of. Before Lee left, they decided to make a promise that would unite them forever, more than any marriage could. They cut off a chunk of their forearm, swapped it with each other, and wrapped a bandage around it so that their partner's skin would become part of their own. So Lee left for his new job, and Mai stayed behind. But while Lee was away, Mai became ill and died, alone in their home. Weeks later, when Lee returned to Laos to visit, he headed straight home. The rest of Mai's family was there, waiting for him. They told him the terrible news, and he crumpled to the floor in despair. Lee was distraught but he couldn't see his beautiful Mai one last time. After a few days, Mai's family held a funeral in the traditional mong way inside of their house. They had drummers and kong, which were traditional bamboo flute artists who were there to help guide the dead to the afterlife. Many in town came to mourn her. The casket was open for all to say their final goodbyes. Soon, the casket was moved to the back and the band began to play. The drummer, who was placed all the way in the back near the casket, was hammering out a gentle beat. The other band members were taking over at this point, so his eyes began to wander around the party. They settled on the casket. He wasn't sure if he was hallucinating or not, but he could swear he saw Mai's mouth moving, like she was chewing something. It was time for him to join back in the band, and he forgot all about Mai's strange muscle spasms. But then the band took over again, and he decided to look back at the casket. This time, the drummer was stunned. He stopped playing immediately as he stared down at Mai's face. It was decaying rapidly right in front of him. The drummer shouted as Mai lifted up a rotting hand and crawled out of the casket. Lee, who was outside with Mai's family, quickly ran into the house to see what all the commotion was. He heard people yelling, dishes being smashed. He pushed through the crowd to find the source of the chaos. It was by the food table. Someone was crawling all over it, shoving food in their mouth. It was Mai. Every time she took a bite out of the bloody meat offered at the party, bits of her skin would flourish like they were new again, and then immediately decay. It was like her body was being restored by the meat. Once she realized she'd finished everything on the table, she cocked her head toward the crowd and salivated at the sight of all that flesh. The crowd screamed as Mai rushed towards them, eager to satisfy her insatiable hunger. Lee was in shock. The love of his life had been reanimated in front of his eyes, but that wasn't the woman he fell in love with. That woman was hungry, trying to satisfy an emptiness. Lee glanced at his forearm. He had an idea. He grabbed a knife from the table, and fighting back tears, he tackled his decaying girlfriend onto the floor and pinned her down. Her dark yellow teeth lunged toward his neck, but he sat on top of her, keeping her arms pinned to the ground with his legs. He cut off a piece of his forearm, the piece that originally belonged to Mai. He shoved it in her mouth, her jaws minced the skin in seconds, and then... Mai's entire body stopped decaying. Lee found himself straddling Mai as he remembered her. Mai! Lee cried. Are you okay? What's happening? Are you back for good? Lee got off of her and laid her head in his lap. She looked so beautiful. It was also too good to be true as her body began to restore itself, the life inside of her faded away. Mai stared at her lost love through tear-soaked eyes and whispered, I love you, Lee. Her eyes slowly closed, and Lee squeezed her tight, sobbing into her chest, replying back, I love you too. He listened as Mai's heart returned to life for a brief moment then slowly beat down to a slow, unsteady rhythm before finally stopping. Mai's time had come. Lee wiped away his tears and carried his loved one to the casket. Everyone in the room was silently crying. One of those people was a priest, and Lee turned to address him. He asked him if he would be willing to marry him and Mai to turn this somber event into a joyous one. The priest agreed and wed Lee and his dead lover. It wasn't the storybook wedding they dreamed of, but Lee was just happy that he was able to say goodbye to his dear Mai one last time. A very big thank you to Mai for sharing that story with us. Um, These are actually my favorite type of stories, the ones that are really sad but also very sweet. So please, send me more of those. This next story comes from Clark, who did not know his grandmother as well as he thought. When I was 13 years old, my grandmother passed away. I was sad, but things only got worse for me after that. My grandma was my favorite person in the world. She wouldn't say it out loud, but I knew I was her favorite grandchild. She was an amazing baker and always made the best pastries and goodies for family occasions. She made this delicious strawberry pie that had a certain detail I could never forget. Little pie crust men on the outside edge of the pie. I loved visiting my grandma and eating her famous pies while she told me stories of when she was younger. But when I turned about 10 years old, my parents were suddenly very against me visiting her. They told me that she was getting very old and delusional and was saying things she didn't mean or understand. They did allow me to have phone conversations with her, and that was enough for me at the time. Clarky She'd croak over the phone.
2: Why don't you see your dear grandma anymore? Do you not love me?
1: That was the worst. I mean, what was I supposed to tell her? That my parents think she's crazy and I shouldn't see her? I would just apologize and make up some excuse and promise that I'd see her very soon. I hated lying to her. And that's how it was for the next three years. A phone call here and there, where my grandma guilted me for not visiting her. Over time, her pleas became less sympathetic and more... Angry,
2: Clarkie, how dare you not visit your grandmother. You should be ashamed of yourself after everything I've done for you.
1: I didn't like talking to her much after that. Not very long after, my grandma had passed away. I knew my grandma was a very social person, but I did not expect to see as many people as I did at her funeral. There were a lot of people I did not recognize, but a lot of people recognized me. I heard the phrase, You must be Clark, I recognize you from your granny's pictures, about ten times. It was nice to know my grandma was proud of me. A few weeks later, I overheard my parents talking in the other room about the plan for cleaning up my grandma's house. I can help, I said as I stepped into the room. My parents shot each other a look. That's okay, you don't need to. I know, but I want to. Grandma's house was pretty big. There's probably a lot of stuff to go through. We don't want you there, Clark. Um, okay. Sorry, sorry. I didn't mean to yell. It's, It's just better if you don't go over there, okay? When you're a kid, adults love keeping things from you. They think they're protecting you. They think that there are certain things you're better off not knowing. But if they had just told me what was going on, I would never have let those people into our home. The next day, my parents went over to my grandmother's house and told me to stay. They were going to be gone most of the day and made me promise not to leave the house, which I didn't. Maybe five minutes after they left, I heard the doorbell. I thought it was my parents coming back because they forgot something, so I opened the door. Standing there were three women. I remembered them from my grandmother's funeral. One of them was holding a red box. Hi, Clarkie, one of them said.
2: We're friends of your granny's, do you remember us? yes i do hi your granny made the best strawberry pies the lady continued she would always bring one to our uh, meetings before she died she gave us the recipe and wanted us to bring you one i mean it's a bit of a shame she couldn't bring you one herself before she passed but the lady shrugged her shoulders she held out the box
1: and i took it from her uh thank you for this i motioned to close the door She held out her hand and stopped it. Well, aren't you going to invite us in? Uh, um, my parents don't really like me having visitors when they're not
2: here. Oh, we'll be in and out in a flash. You'll barely notice we were here. We just want to see your reaction to our pie. We want to make sure we did your granny's recipe justice. All three of them smiled widely at me. I knew I wasn't
1: supposed to let them in, but I also didn't want to be rude. Um... Okay. I stepped aside and let them into the house. I led them to the kitchen, and they sat at the table. I grabbed four plates, but the lady said,
2: Oh, we won't be having any. It's all for you. I took my plate, grabbed a fork and knife,
1: and sat down. They were all watching me so intensely. It was incredibly uncomfortable.
2: Here, let me help you,
1: one of the ladies said as she stood up and grabbed the knife from my hand. Another lady opened the box to reveal a crimson red strawberry pie. And around the rim were the tiny little pie crust men, just as my grandmother used to make. The lady cut a quarter of the pie and placed the slice onto my plate. The red juice oozed everywhere, and some dripped onto the table. Tell us what you think, they said. I scooped a small piece onto my fork and placed it in my mouth. It was gooey, very juicy. The crust was baked to perfection. I went for another bite.
2: I think he likes it,
1: one of the ladies exclaimed. As I chewed the next bite, I could see the women sharing a look with each other. One of them nodded slightly. Something was up. I put my fork down. It's very good, thank you so much. Simultaneously, the three women stood up, one of them grabbed me from behind and held me to the chair. The other two began to chant in a language I didn't understand. I began to kick and pull, but the lady held me tight. I had never been more scared in my entire life. Then, after one minute, they stopped chanting. The woman who was holding me down released me and gave me a hug, which I did not want.
2: It's done. Your granny will be so happy. What did you do to me? What's going on? You love your granny, don't you? She asked. Don't you want to be with her forever? I don't understand. You're scaring me. My grandma's dead. Your granny remains in her home as a spirit. And by drinking her blood, your spirits are now bound together. And it won't be long before you're reunited again. Oh, I'm so happy
1: for you. The other women came over to hug me, but I pushed them away. Get out! The women were giggling as they walked out the house. I started panicking. Their words were bouncing around in my head. My grandma was a spirit? I I drank her blood? It wouldn't be long before I reunited with her. What were they saying? When my parents came home later that day, I avoided them. I stayed in my room and didn't feel like talking to them. I wondered if they knew about all of this, about my grandma's weird friends. Is this why they didn't want me going to grandma's anymore? Or did they really think grandma was just losing it and they were trying to shield me from seeing her that way? Was grandma's spirit really still in that house? And was I really going to reunite with her soon? Whatever the case, I didn't tell them what happened. I wasn't even sure myself what had happened, and I didn't want to worry them with inaccurate stories. Besides, there are certain things that are better off not knowing. Thank you, Clark, for sharing that story with us. I think it's awful that those women forced you to eat that blood pie, but I'm sure that you'll be fine,
2: and I hope that you're safe.
1: Our final tale comes from Mitchell in Canada, who had a very close run-in with a murderer. There is an animated version of this story up on youtube.com snarls so after you listen, make sure you check it out. When Mitchell was about 12 years old, his mom Susan was set up on a blind date with a woman named Elizabeth. It went pretty well, so Susan introduced her to Mitchell. From the beginning, Mitchell had a weird feeling about her. It felt like she didn't quite know how to interact with children, so she was always a bit distant and cold. Meanwhile, she was showering Susan with gifts and acting pretty clingy. A week after Susan and Elizabeth started dating, the three of them went to Susan's friend's wedding. Elizabeth wore a baggy tie-dye shirt and basketball shorts, a very odd choice for a formal occasion. When they got there, Mitchell's eyes grew at the sight of all the food His eyes landed on the platters of shrimp, but Susan reeled him back into reality. Don't eat any of the seafood. It was cooked with peanut oil. Mitchell sighed in disappointment. He loved shrimp, but was allergic to peanuts. Later in the evening, Elizabeth approached Mitchell at the table, holding a plate of shrimp and smiling widely. Look, a guest brought some
2: seafood cooked without peanut oil. Isn't that lucky? Your mom asked me to bring this to you. Enjoy. Enjoy.
1: She placed the plate in front of Mitchell and walked away. Mitchell looked around to see if he could spot his mom and get her nod of approval, but he couldn't see her. Being a young kid, he didn't overthink it and ate a shrimp. It was just as delicious as he had hoped it would be. So he ate another and another until his throat swelled up and couldn't swallow anymore. Susan spotted Mitchell across the room, covered in hives and struggling to breathe, and she quickly called an ambulance. Once Mitchell was okay and everything had calmed down, Susan scolded him. I told you not to eat the seafood. Why didn't you listen to me? It was Elizabeth. She said it didn't have peanut oil. She said you told her to give it to me. Susan looked over at Elizabeth.
2: Oh, poor kid. He's delusional from the medication.
1: A week later, Susan called things off with Elizabeth. She believed Mitchell when he told her that Elizabeth had tricked him, and she couldn't stand the thought of being with someone who would intentionally cause harm to her child. Just to be safe, they changed their number so Elizabeth couldn't get a hold of them. Years had passed, and they had forgotten about Elizabeth. Until this past summer, when they turned on the news.
0: Her job was to care for the elderly and comfort the ill, but former nurse Elizabeth Wettlaufer is now one of Canada's worst serial killers.
2: The woman they called Beth was charged today with eight counts of first-degree murder.
0: Four counts of attempted murder and two counts of aggravated assault. She had killed her loved ones. All by way of insulin overdoses. In a chilling confession to police, Wettlaufer claimed they were annoying.
1: Wettlaufer was found guilty of professional misconduct. To, uh,
2: make sure that this woman gets the justice she deserves because she had no right to do what she did. I think she's sick. Literally sick.
1: Oh my God. If you would like to submit a story, please send me an email at at snarled.com. This podcast is also available in video form on youtube.com slash snarled. Until next time, sweet dreams.
0: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well.